Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Okay, so I'm traveling through Indonesia by boat, train, minibike, van, whatever's cheaper. I'm wandering through these little villages, right? Meeting nice people, sticking my nose in cooking pots and holding babies. Hey, old man, what you drinking? Because some liar said they didn't allow alcohol. I'm climbing trees for coconuts. I'm falling out of trees, having a ball. Learning about the place, and one evening, I'm staying in a family's compound and sharing rice and curry with about 25 people. I'm asking questions about the house, the food, the school. But then, as many questions as I have for them, they have questions for me. Hey, do all Americans live in a big mansion? No. Is American food more tasty than this? No. How many guns do you carry every day? I don't carry any. How many times have you run away from the police? Run from the police? That's not a good idea for a black man. And everybody sounds disappointed. Why don't you ever run away? You need a faster car. You're just going to make it past the county line. Huh? And what? And somehow it occurs to me. That deep out here in the Indonesian bush, somehow, they are watching that 70s Dukes of Hazard about two idiot brothers getting into scrapes, and they're watching it like it's documentary. Everybody's upset. You should run like a man. <sighs> like a man. And honestly, I am not sure. Can you escape the police by going to the next county? Does, does that work? I have no idea. Here I am trying to figure out their country when I don't even know my own. So today, on Snap Judgment, we proudly present The Hitchhiker's Guide to America. A story from a land you only think you know. My name is Ben Washington, and I am unarmed. When you're listening, to snap judgment. Now then, have you ever been driving down an empty highway, watching the occasional tree whiz by, and wondered to yourself? anyone out here? Sensitive listeners should know this piece does contain a description of a car accident. It's a story of a man who always wanted the home he never thought he'd find. Snap Judgment. 
front of me is a bunch of land, hills. Hills, you don't see many telephone poles. Easy mark gas station. There's no houses. It's early morning out on the edge of a hot and dry California highway. A man with a long gray beard, a Cornhusker's hat, and light blue jeans walks out of the woods from a scrubby trail that you can hardly see from the road. I stay away from society as much as I can. I can stay here and just not let nobody see me come in and out. They won't even know, and what they don't know ain't gonna hurt them, and I ain't gonna hurt nothing. And if you give me a place where I don't have to deal with uh, people. I go the rabbit across the field. I've heard some turtle doves out here. And I got a bobcat, and he'll scream at night real loud and kind of make the eerie sound. We can, go, we can go the other way if you want to. His name is Gregory, and we're some of the only visitors he's ever had. He walks us back along his rocky trail for about 10 minutes, through scrub brush and dry streams, back here to his secluded little camp. I had this here up here in the tree in case somebody did come by. What is that? It was what I call my mailbox. If I ain't here, just leave a note or something in that box. And then I'll know whether you you know, come by or not. Has anyone left you a note in the box? Not yet. He lights up a cigarette. I make this place feel like my own because everybody's got to have their own place. You know. Okay, well, this is uh, actually my hut. Uh, I'll let you look inside. I got plenty of room if you can see how his hut is in the shape of an A-frame made of tarps and wood and there's an Afghan blanket hanging where a door normally would be. But these are some deer horns. And on his bed there's another Afghan spread on top. I love Afghans. My grandmother and them used to sit for hours in rocking chairs and make them. Start this little home cook stove. There you go. And Make some coffee. Let's warm it up. It's a long way to what I want. But it's a start. To build his hut, he found some pine trees and cut them down with a handsaw to make a frame. And then he dragged in some tin he found on the side of the road to make a roof. I watch the stars move around at night. Makes you wonder what's out there sometimes. Sometimes I'll get my guitar out and make up a song and uh, look around at what I might do today. Funny, a woman can come on. So wild and free. I look at sometimes like I'm here five years from now. And uh, nobody said nothing. Nobody says nothing. You know, it's just, it's kind of like I got another part that I put in a song, you know. It sure does feel good to feel invisible. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Because it, it really does. It feels really good to feel invisible to where nobody knows you're you're there. And touch me as if I would go. I told her about if something happened to me, what she could, you know, could do. What were you hiding from? From the fact of humiliation from the family or explanation. Since he was a kid, Gregory dreamt of building a family like the ones from the TV sitcoms he watched. I wanted to uh, be married, have some kids, some land, and a house. Kind of like the Brady Bunch and, and the Partridge family. Gregory never had anything close to a TV life because Gregory grew up on the road. We never really had a permanent place to live. My dad played music. He traveled a lot. Mama, she'd have a waitress job or, you know, in the honky-tonks and bars, and, and uh, Daddy'd be plicking the guitar. He used to be called Danny Curtis and the Nashville Express. When me and my brother went to work for him, he called us the new Nashville Express. He would say when we was on stage, he'd say, well, here's a Gregory, he's our bass player. He's born in Oville, California. And that's just the way the life was ever since I can remember with him. School and playing music and uh, having my recreational time was pretty much a challenge. We didn't get home to two or three o'clock in the morning sometimes on school nights. Gregory toured with the New Nashville Express with his stepdad, mom, and brother for years. They drove around in a 67 Cadillac. He grew up in honky-tonks and pool halls, singing songs about other people's lives. We've done a lot of Ray Price, uh, you know, like Hank Williams Jr., Take These Chains From My Hearts. Uh, every song was a love song. And in 1984, in a smoky bar in Hutchinson, Kansas, Gregory and his father were drinking beers, a lot of beers, and playing a game of pool. It was a game that would bring Greg the one thing he'd always wanted. We were playing for Harley-Davidson. And... Uh, we were shooting, and I was at to the eight ball. Going to win. I was going to win. But the one thing he'd always wanted wasn't a Harley Davidson. All of a sudden, on my left eye, caught this gorgeous blonde female sitting at the table that had just walked in. And I just stood up and backed up from the shot. And uh, I looked up here and looked over and said, You know what? I don't need no Harley. And I walked over to her and just sat down. She said, who are you? I said, I don't know who you are neither, but would you like to dance? Still by my side the next morning. And uh, I said, you know what? I got to get something serious with this one. I can't let this girl go for some reason. She's about the only one that did stay with me anywhere I went. I married her about six months after we met. He felt like he was closer to finally getting that settled family life he'd always wanted. Kind of like Tom Tooltime Taylor or Home Improvement. 
Two years after me and her met, we had our baby and named her Tabitha. She was five pounds, 11 ounces, 21 inches long, and uh, just a blessing in life. I mean, it was just uh, something we needed. We had In the trailer, we had a sound system that I had got so we could hear the baby cry if we was in the bedroom. I'd sit and play the guitar to her at night when she'd go to sleep. Uh, one called, I had a little monkey. I fed him on gingerbread. One that Nat Stuckey does that was really my favorite called The Sun's Coming Up. It seemed like we were just on the verge to, uh, of having kind of what we both wanted. She needed me, and, and I needed her. I mean, it, it, talking about it gives me a pretty wonderful feeling. One night, Tabitha was about nine months old, and the family decided to go on a drive. We went driving the back roads, the gravel roads, and uh, sightseeing with the baby. We'd chore the squirrels and, and deer we'd come across and stuff. And uh, we were just having a good family outing. I'm driving. No seat belts, of course, all we had lap belts anyways, and Taz are between us. And I was going about 35 or 30 miles an hour. She looked over and said, are you driving too fast? I uh, looked the speed on her and said, no, I'm just doing 35, and I slowed down to 30. Well, it got dark, and a storm come in is what happened. It got just pitch black. The baby, Tabitha, had dropped her baby bottle of milk in the floorboard. and. Uh, I had one hand on the wheel, and she reached down too and said, I can't find it. And I reached down like this to get it, like this to get it. And when I when I come back up, the sharp curve, which I knew the road, I drove it for years, but it was dark and I couldn't see. It knocked me out. Snappers, what happens next will change the direction of Gregory's life forever. Stay tuned. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeef, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young black artists, 
Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. Now, we're listening to the story of Gregory's search for a real home. And just when he thought he'd found what he was looking for, his car slides off the road with his new wife and young baby inside. Snap Judgment. When I woke up, I heard Tabitha crying. And I already had this sick feeling coming over me, you know. When I found Elaine, she was in the ditch, leaned up against a tree, and Tabitha was right beside me. I said, I had a wreck, and I think my wife's dead. They've had to pry Tabitha out of my hands because I wouldn't release her. We both died that day because I'm not that same person I used to be then. I lost everything that day. I had to like go into hiding from the humiliation. After the accident, it was hard for Gregory to be out in the world. He was crumbling under the gaze of other people. Times that I would stay in my house and not go outside because I couldn't, it would, I wanted to, but that would force me back, you know. And uh, I tried to reach out to her family at the time, and her father just wanted to blame me automatically for what happened. I wasn't going to be the old good go lucky Greg that was helpful to all of them anymore. I was going to be the one that actually killed her daughter. And it, it was just nearly impossible to be in a public eye. He was grieving and trying to take care of Tabitha on his own. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia after the crash. I drank quite a bit. Alcohol was my problem through life because I really didn't have a choice not to be being raised up in the honky-tonks bars. But Tabitha really was only nine months old when her mama died. Gregory tried to rally to make a home for him and Tabitha, but he also had PTSD from the accident. She was my regular little cadet. She went everywhere with me. I mean, if I had to sneak her in a guitar case, she was in there. But they was already, a man ain't supposed to raise a girl. Your lifestyle's bars and honky-tonks. It was just hard. It was tough to do that, you know. She was taken from me because of my situation of bad choices. When Tabitha was 11, she was taken from him and put into foster care. She was moved from family to family and town to town. He took her away on accounts of inadequate housing, inadequate heat, and uh, alcohol abuse. And no matter how many times he tried to create a home... Nothing ever came to what it wanted to be. He got married again, and again, and again, and again... He also spent a couple years in prison. I uh, kind of lost where I was at. He was so lost that he decided to go back to the closest thing he'd ever had to a home. I was born in Orville, and I think it was the longest place that we had been at that I can remember. I got to go to Orville because I got that's what I came. You know, the only place I had to go was a good part of my past, you know. 
So I'll kick the old wings on the truck and part it up. I'm heading straight to California. Gregory had thought about leaving for California lots of times over the years, but he could never work up the courage to actually pack up and go. But one day, about five years ago, Gregory filled up his truck and left for California with thousands of miles in front of him. For some, this would be an easy flight where you're home in time for dinner. But for Gregory, it was one of the greatest undertakings of his life. He still had schizophrenia and PTSD, no backup plan, no personal savings. Mind you, I ain't got but a $20 and a $50 Sitco card. I really wanted to have a nice vehicle and just kick back air conditioner on money and just cruise to California. Well, it didn't happen that way with me, you know. He I did get to, a couple hundred miles west driving his truck, all the way to Oklahoma. I got in trouble with drinking and driving again. So now his truck and his license were gone. He did scrape together some money from his disability checks to buy an old motorcycle. He drove that for about a month. He'd stay in homeless shelters for a few nights or motels when he could afford it. And then back on the road. I took off. Now I'd have a straight, easy shot to California. Yeah, no problem. Well, it didn't happen. The cops pulled him over for expired plates and they took away his motorcycle. So he went to the train station and bought the cheapest ticket out of town. He zigzagged all over the country sometimes even heading east, in the opposite direction. When he didn't have enough money for a ticket, he'd hide, usually in the dining car. How I got through the terminal, I don't know. But I snuck on the Amtrak. Because them Amtraks, they roll now, they're moving. You know, they're fast. They got to uh, Gillsburg, Indiana, and they kicked me off. I was on my campaign trail. I wasn't going back. I was, I was moving, I didn't made up my mind that I was going to make a difference in my life, one way or the other. So when he got kicked off Amtrak for the last time, there was only one more option. It was at pretty much the end of my line, except for the boxcars. And that's when I jumped the boxcar, and it was a stinking, like I was telling you, it was a stinking old sewer slop pig train. I got to Benson, Arizona. I stayed to Charlotte Benson, and then I got a ride to Palin, with some people that was coming up this way after Fallon. I was close to California now. I'm going to make it. And he did make it. As soon as he crossed into California, he headed to Oroville to search for his childhood home. When he finally walked into downtown Oroville, he was looking for the oak trees that marked his old neighborhood and a big house with a porch that was across the street growing up. But nothing was familiar. There was a McDonald's in place of old stores he remembered, and the dirt roads were turned into wide concrete streets. I couldn't find the place I lived at in, in, uh, in California. Like I had stepped into the path a little bit, but not enough. So he was still lost. That's when Gregory just started walking all around Northern California, on the side of highways and on back roads, 
hundreds of miles up and down the state. I walked around California about a year and a half. I walked Golden State Highway for a while and come into Lodi, stuck in Lodi again. And then in the middle of a winter day on a nondescript farm road. I met some boy walking the other way. He asked me to have a cigarette. I said, yeah, I got a little tobacco. He said, you ain't got far. I'm like, ain't got far? Why are you, why are you even saying that to me, you know? I got 100,000 million million miles to go as far as I'm concerned. But Gregory took what that young boy said as a sign. And after years of walking, he stopped. In the heart of California's gold country, about 100 miles from his childhood home in Oroville. He turned off the main road and headed down a narrow dirt path, deep into a thorny brush. He kept walking until he got here, a shaded valley protected by tall pine trees. And I pitched a tent. I've been out here ever since. After three years, he's still here, settled on the same land in the middle of nowhere. It's the longest he's been able to be still in a really long time. A place is when you've lived there long enough that you can say, well, over there is where I stumped my toe, <laughs> you know, back uh, six years ago, you know. It's always in my mind to find a place, you know, to settle. That's my water that I carry out. And uh, this is my solar system light that you put out in the sun and it uh, charges up. I uh, actually built an outhouse. It's made out of a 55 gallon barrel. I've come to be able to live with my trees, my earth, and in the spirit of knowing that sometimes you just got to wait it comes around and it may not be exactly the way you want it only a couple people know where Gregory lives out here on this piece of vast empty land in his pine tree and tarp cabin he doesn't have to hide you know, it sure does feel good to feel invisible yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because it, it really does. It feels really good to feel invisible to where nobody knows you're, you're there. Let me a swing in that tree. Set and swing on. It's okay to be depressed. There isn't nothing wrong with depression as long as it's, you know, not something that'll harm you. And this is where I can be myself. I don't have to put on a front when I'm out here. I don't have to uh, hide my pain if I feel pain. If the accident hadn't happened, I could see us today, and she'd be 55. And I actually sung a song yesterday a little bit, making it up out here by myself last night. And it's like, well, we've came a long way. And I'd say, well, are you still where you want to be? And she'd say, well, I'm still with you, am I not? Then this is where I want to be. I just believe that because even though she did pass away, she did die, she was still with me. Though sometimes it seems it ain't worth 
the troubles at all It'd be worth the world if somehow I can touch her at all Thank you, Gregory, for sharing your story with us. Now, since we've been talking to Gregory, he's been offered a hotel room as part of a COVID relief project, but he politely declined. His home has also been threatened by nearby wildfire, but Gregory's staying strong on his patch of land. The original score for that story was by Derek Barber. It was produced by Tessa Paoli. Now, don't go anywhere. After the break, we travel through time. Stay tuned. Snap Judgment, the Hitchhiker's Guide to America. My name is Ben Washington, and we're bringing you a true story that takes us all over America. But you can put away your maps, because this journey we're making today won't be on highways or country roads, because we're launching through time. Now, this story does have some strong language and references incidents of racial violence. As such, listener discretion is advised. Our story begins in a Chicago neighborhood just a few weeks ago when Jacoby Cochran walks into his grandmother's house. Snap judgment. So my grandmother, Mamie, is a time traveler. And her home, which I'm sitting in right now, is a time machine. You might think I'm being poetic or metaphorical, but nah. She is a wizard. About four years ago, I was standing on her front porch listening for the familiar, who is it? I'm coming. Who is it? Her nice way of saying, who the fuck is at my front door? When she opens the door, she embraces me in her arms and I'm immediately transported to a place generations far before my own. You see, my grandparents moved into this house in the winter of 1967. So when you walk in the air and the furniture all has generational weight to it. As you come in through the door, you're immediately greeted by these perfectly manicured couches and lamps that are about as old as the house itself. The ageless dining room set in China is about 45. As I enter into the kitchen, I walk past the 39-year-old refrigerator and I sit down at this exact table across from my grandmother. I grab some newspapers and scissors, and I get to clipping. Now, as I'm sitting at the table, I can't help but think what the last two decades of my life have looked like sitting across from this wizard. As I got older, I started watching Jeopardy with my grandma, and I could actually understand what was happening. And I sat across from this genius who won millions of imaginary dollars from this exact green chair and she loved to chastise motherfuckers when they would miss low-hanging fruit 
But as the years went on, she gave me harsher and more grounded lessons. She taught me what it meant to be black in America. She taught me what it meant to watch Chicago transform. To going from being the first black family on her neighborhood to one of all black families in her neighborhood. She taught me to stay alert. She was the first person that made me realize that to be black in America is to be marked. And to be marked is to be hunted. But on this July afternoon, we were sitting there and we were clipping out the comic strips. You see, my grandmother loves this comic strip called Love Is. She is pretty much every single one from like 1983, real talk. And as we're going through getting the coupons and the sales, getting the Love Is, she looks up at me and she says, I don't enjoy this process as much as I used to. Now, of course, I didn't take it personally. I knew Granny wasn't sitting there saying she doesn't like being at this table with me. So I waited. And she said, Kobe, they never really celebrate black folks on these newspapers. go out of their way to make us look like a criminal, like an animal. See, my grandmother was always able to boil a dissertation down into a few sentences. And I understood exactly what she meant. I've been sitting at this table for 25 plus years and the newspapers never taught me about Black Wall Street how local gangs actually started as community organizations, hell, even Juneteenth. Nah, they went out of their way to remind me that I was marked. And to be marked is to be hunted. And at that moment, Jeopardy gives way to the news. And me and my grandmother are immediately transported together from her kitchen table to a parking lot in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's grainy video footage, but both of us can kind of make out what's happening. In the front of a convenience store, we see a black man being wrestled to the ground, knees in his back, chest pinned against the concrete. You can't really hear exactly what's being said, but me and my grandmother sitting in the silence try to translate. When all of a sudden gunshots fill my grandmother's kitchen. She looks at me with these salt and pepper curls that have always been salt and pepper in my eyes. And she places her brittle hand on top of mine and she says... This is exactly what I'm talking about. Look how quickly they looked at that man and they made up their mind. Kobe, have I ever told you the story of Emma Till? In that moment, I couldn't move. I couldn't say anything. And all of a sudden, my grandmother turned around and she reached into this closet under a stack of newspapers and a stack of magazines. And she pulled out this Ziploc bag. 
in it was a September 1955 copy of Jet Magazine. She sat it on the table in front of me. She told me the story of August 1955 in Money, Mississippi. When she got done, it was clear that time traveling took a lot out of her. You see, she used to be able to sit at this table and move through stories with precise phenomenological detail. But it was clear in her later years that her powers were wavering and she looked so tired. So she put the magazines back in the Ziploc and back in the closet and she said, Kobe, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to take a nap. I just sat here in this table in silence as the names ran through my head like Oscar and Michelle, Mike and Sandra, Freddie, Rakia, Laquan and Alton. Eventually, I got up from the table and I exited the time machine and I went home. I woke up the next day. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't feel great. As you can imagine, the growing trauma of being black in America kind of fucks up the morning ritual. It's almost like my first thought is, wow, I'm alive. And my second thought is. Here we go again. Uh, But instead of dwelling, I think to myself, you know what? I'm going to get up. and I'm going to go back to my grandma's house because I don't really like how it ended yesterday. We was in the middle of clipping newspapers and coupons and love is comic strips. So I go back and I'm standing on the front porch listening for the familiar. Who is it? I'm coming. Who is it? which nicely translates to who the fuck is standing at my front door. My grandmother opens it and places me in her warm embrace and immediately I'm transported to a time generations before my own. I walk past the perfectly manicured couches and lamps, past the ageless dining room set, past the 39-year-old refrigerator and I sit back down at this table like I have my entire life. And I ask my grandmother to pass me a newspaper and a pair of scissors and I get to clipping. And in the silence, my grandmother looks up at me and she says, Kobe, I don't really like doing this anymore. She said they never really celebrate black folks on these newspapers. And I looked down and I said, you're right, Grandma. They don't. And before I could continue, she cut me off and she said, but Kobe, I'm going to show you one of my favorite newspapers. And she reached in this closet under a whole bunch of newspapers, and she pulled out a copy of the Sun-Times from 2013. And she put it in my face and she said, you see this little boy right up here in the corner? 
She said, this is my favorite newspaper because they put one of my favorite black boys on this newspaper. And it was a little picture of my face in the corner. And of course, I'm sitting there blushing with my grandma because you know how grandparents hype you up, right? They make you feel like superstars even when you just live in. But before I could say thank you, the television goes to the news. And me and my grandmother are immediately transported to St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. A black woman is holding up her phone on Facebook Live as her daughter screams in the back seat, as her boyfriend bleeds out in the passenger seat, shot as we would later learn seven times. And me and my grandmother, we sit there and we watch the last moments of Philando Castile's life. And she looks at me with those salt and pepper curls and she puts her brittle hand on top of mine and she says, Kobe, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Have I ever told you the story of Emma Till? And she reaches behind her in this closet under a stack of newspapers and magazines. And she grabs a Ziploc bag. In it, an original September 1955 jet magazine. And she sets it on the table and she looks at me. You see, my grandmother is a time traveler. A wizard and this house I sit in is her time machine. (laughs) But she no longer remembers being the first black family on this block. You see, with the dementia, she no longer remembers the perfectly manicured couch and lamps. She doesn't remember that the ageless dining room set in China is 45. She doesn't remember that the refrigerator is 39. She doesn't even remember that we sat here at this exact table yesterday. But unlike yesterday, my grandmother summons up this energy and she tells me vividly the story of August 28th, 1955. She tells me first about four days earlier and a lie that Carolyn Bryant told. She tells me about the night her husband and his brother kidnapped Teal from his grand uncle's house. How they beat him and tortured him then tied a 75-pound fan around his neck and drug him and shot him in the back of his head and left him where he was found days later. She told me about Mamie Teal and the sacrifices that no mother should ever have to make. How she was forced to make the tough decisions to show the world the brutality it was already very much aware of. How black women are often left picking up the broken pieces in these moments and movements. 
A few months later, my grandmother passed away just a season before celebrating the 50th anniversary in her home. And I'll be honest with you, I've been selfish. I've sat at this table now in the seat she once occupied and I wish every day that she'd sit next to me, that she'd time travel with me. But part of me is happy that she no longer has to clip these newspapers where black people die every day for walking and running and driving and sleeping and selling and relaxing and living. I recently came back to my grandmother's house and I stood on the front porch. I didn't listen for the familiar, who is it? I'm coming, who is it? Because now that it's my mother's home, she's installed the camera doorbell. So she knows exactly who the fuck is on her front porch. My mother answers the door and she wraps me in her warm embrace. As I walk past the perfectly manicured couches that are still as old as the house, I notice the refrigerator has been replaced. But me and my mother, we sit in the same two chairs and we start clipping through newspapers. Not for coupons and sales, but like my grandmother, my mom loves this comic strip. Love is... And then the TV goes to news. And me and my mother are transported to Kenosha, Wisconsin. We don't clip the newspapers nearly as much as my grandmother did. We don't stack and collect the names, but we remember them. I open up my journal. I write down his name, Jacob Blake. And then I write what's on my heart in that moment. My grandmother, Mamie, is a time traveler. Jacoby Cochran for sharing his story with Snap. Jacoby is an award-winning performer, educator, and writer who reps Chicago's South Side all day. To learn more about where to catch his latest shows, videos, and writing, check out our website, snapjudgment.org. Original score for that story was by Clay Xavier. It was produced by Regina Bariaco and Anna Sussman. happened again i know i know and if you missed even a moment subscribe to the amazing snap judgment podcast subscribe because someone's story might change your life change mine and you want to know how to meet the best people 
where Snap stops. They'll come running. The Snap Judgment Studio Shop is finally here. Snapjudgment.org slash shop. Get your Snap Judgment t-shirt, get a Snap pin, fly your Snap flag high. Let the world know you, Snap. Snapjudgment.org slash shop. And I'd love to give up the secrets. Follow me on the Twitter or the Instagram. Snap is brought to you by the team that always picks up hitchhikers. Except for Mark Ristich, the Uber user. Mark, he generally is a hitchhiker. Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, Abbasini Miller, John Fasile, Shana Sheely, Marissa Dodge, Nika Singh, Tao Ducat, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Regina Bediaco. And this is not the news. No way is this news. In fact, you get a hitchhike the four corners of the globe only to decide the best place in the world is your mama's house. But she didn't want you back there. And you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PR. <laughs>